Okay, so we're starting a new series today. Um, if you got your Bibles, your notes, the new series is called Priorities. Priorities. How many of you know that life will fall apart if your priorities are not in order? I think a lot of us are lacking so much peace that we don't even know we're lacking because our priorities are out of order. And once you get your priorities lined up with God's Word, everything just falls into place like it should. Uh, Jesus in the New Testament, he actually gave us what our, our priorities are, and we're going to go into detail with it in the next several weeks. Um, but uh, this is actually our memory verse is what he gave us. So good and strong, Matt, uh, Mark 12, verse 30, I want us to read it. Good and strong, ready, read. Jesus said, the most important commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That is our priorities, to love God and to love people and to keep those things in order in our life. It is so easy to get out of order. Today in part one, I want to talk to you about my only God. My only God. God, I think the world has a way of deceiving us, even as Christians, into going to God as a last resort. Isn't it so funny? Most of our stories are kind of, I hit rock bottom and then I found God. And that's great. I'm glad you found God. But we need to learn how to go to God first. Before we go to the medicine cabinet, we need to go to God first. Before we go to the alcohol, we need to go to God. Before we go to the TV, before we go to the friend, before we go to the Facebook, before we go to our phone, God needs to be number one in our life. And I'm going to make a statement that I've been dwelling on every single day this week for hours, and I don't know if it completely applies to you, so I want you to think about it this week. And that statement is this, nothing in my life have I ever worried about except the times I didn't put God first. In other words, the only time I've ever had fear or anxiety or worry is the times where I thought, you know what, I did not put God first in this area. You know, um, financially, I've had between $800 and $1,200 in the bank for about 22 years of my life, up until recently. About that's From the age of 18 to the age of 40 years old, I only have between $800 and $1,200 in the bank, and that's with five kids. That's with, you know, cars and a house payment and everything. That's where our finances, but I've never, ever, ever, ever once worried about money ever except for one time that I made a big purchase that I was scared, uh-oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to do this. Maybe God didn't want me to do it. That's the only time I ever worried about money, and I never had any, and yet I never, ever worried about Here's why. I always put God first financially, and there was never any worry. The times I've worried in my marriage or with my children or had fears is the times where I realized, you know what, I didn't put God first. And so I worry, oh no, what's the consequence going to be? Because if I put God first, it's easy to know I'm going to succeed because he's in charge of it. If I don't put him first, what's going to happen? The one time my, my child, my Asher, when he was born with a spinal cord problem, he was MUSC and they told us he was going to die. And if he lived, he'd never walk again. And I was so full of fear at first. And the reason I was full of fear, I remember thinking, oh, maybe I wasn't the father or the husband I should have been during this time. Maybe I worked too much. Maybe I wasn't there for my family because I realized maybe I wasn't putting God first. If our priorities are in order, everything falls into place. Now, Jesus gave us those two main priorities, love God, love people. God actually gave us a priority list in the Old Testament as well. We call it the Ten Commandments. And that day, whenever Charlton Heston went up to the mountain of Mount Sinai, for the, for the, for the new people, it was actually Christian Bale for those young people. How many of y'all, the 1956 Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, right? Or Exodus, Gods and Kings with, with Christian Bale. Who do y'all think was a better Moses? 
Charlton, someone, some, some girl said Christian Bale. Okay, well, listen, listen, you know, what, you know what I call it whenever any of you leave church early? Christian Bale. Anyway, and so, so Moses goes up to the mountain, and the very first commandment God said in Exodus 20, verse 3 is this. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, a lot of people see the commandments as rules, and some people don't like rules. They don't like standards. They don't like guidelines. And those same people, if you said, let's remove the speed limit signs, they'd say, oh, no, we need speed limit signs. See, the problem is they don't like rules that they don't like. You know, it's, it's a pride issue. It's not a rule issue. And so when you see the Ten Commandments, it's not rules. It's ways to enhance our relationship with God and people. The first four commandments are all about our relationship with God. The last six are all about our relationship with people. And so I want to kind of give you an example to help you understand it. If you told your four-year-old child, thou shalt not go play in the street. Like, that's a rule. Now, you're, are you trying to hurt your child? Are you trying to control them? Are you trying to prevent them from having fun and enjoying their life? No, you're giving them a rule, a commandment, a standard, a guideline that says, I'm smarter than you, and I know this will hurt you if you do this. So thou shalt not play in the street. Now, if your child disobeys and goes out in the street and plays, and a car hits your child, and your child does not die, but there's, there's a broken bone, there's blood. You run out to the street, you scream, somebody call 911, the ambulance comes. You're in the ambulance with the child. Let me ask you this, are you mad at your child and you can't wait to discipline them because they didn't do what you said to do and you're thinking, man, once you get better, I'm going to spank you and you're going to sit in the corner and you're going to pay for what you did. Are you mad or are you so brokenhearted and sad because you told them not to play in the street and when they did it, it hurt them and you're hurting worse than they are because you love them more than they even love themselves and you don't want to see them in pain. Are you mad or are you sad? You're brokenhearted. You're sad. So when God says, don't put anything before me, nothing comes before me, no other gods, you shall have no other gods at all. He's not trying to control you. He's not, and when you fail to do this, he's not mad and can't wait to punish you. He's brokenhearted because he knows this will enhance our relationship if you do it. If you don't do it, it's going to cause you pain in life. Are, are you with me? Okay, so I have three points for you today. Point number one for your notes is this. He is our number one relationship. He is our number one relationship. All the points start with the letter R. The only reason God created Adam and Eve, and I really, and I thought of all the ways I could verbalize this to you to make it stick, and I don't know if I came up with the right way, but I want it to stick so bad. The only reason God created Adam and Eve was for a relationship. The only reason he created you, the only reason you're here, the only reason is because he wants a relationship with you for all of eternity. See, God created, the, the angels were created for God to serve him. You and I are the only beings that were created from God. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious at all, but when you think of an angel, and uh, you know, in this aspect we're talking about, think of your dog versus your child. Right, your dog, they're there to serve you and make your life better. And yes, a third of the angels rebelled against God. You can open up the front door and your dog can run away if he wants to, you know. He has a free will to, but that dog's there to serve you. But your child that came from you, that you love so much, the only reason God created you was for a relationship. So when Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and the first one is, don't put any gods before me, God had a sentence to say before he started the commandments. And the sentence is this in Exodus 20, verse 2 through 3. I am the Lord your God. We have a relationship. I need to remind all my people, I am your God. I created you. I, I, I want to be with you forever. Then he goes on to say this. I brought you out of Egypt and out of bondage. I use my power. 
I redeemed you because I want a relationship with you. So now I'm going to tell you, for that relationship to be great, don't put any other gods before me. I, I, I use my power. And do you know that you were a slave to sin? You were in bondage to sin, and God loved you so much he gave his only son, 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were actually bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He, in other words, when your relationship was broken, he moved heaven and earth to get that relationship back. That's how much he wants a relationship with you. Um, you know, I joke around a lot. Everybody knows I joke around way too much, almost offensive, which is fine, love me or hate me. But my wife says to me, she says, you know, honey, there's some things you're not allowed to joke around about in public with me. And I said, but honey, I like to joke around. It makes me feel good. I like, but honey, you can joke, but there's some things that would hurt me if you did this. Is it okay for my wife to say, if you do this, it will cause me pain? Is it okay for her to say that? Is she trying to control me, manipulate me? <clears throat> Is she trying to prevent me from having fun? No, she's saying, I love you and I love our relationship. And if you do this, it's going to hurt our relationship. You with me? So God is saying, when you put anything before me, it will hurt our relationship. See, some people think <clears throat> that tolerance and love are synonyms. And there's this stupid thing out in the world that Christians should be more tolerant. Tolerance and love are not synonyms at all. God does not tolerate anything being put before him. You know, when I go to a hospital, they won't let me smoke a cigar when I'm in the intensive care visiting people. Can you believe that? They should have more love. Why don't they tolerate that? Because it hurts people and it's wrong. Tolerance and love are not synonyms at all. There are things that God loves you so much, that's why he does not tolerate these things in our relationship. So Moses goes up the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments. As soon as the commandments are done, the very next sentence, the commandments are verses 3 through 17 in Exodus 20. In verse 18, read, watch this. This is amazing. It says, the people trembled with fear when they heard the thunder and saw the lightning flash. They stood, this is so important, a long way off and said to Moses, if you speak to us, we're going to listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses replied, don't be afraid. But when Moses drew near to God, the people stayed a long way off. Here's the point I'm getting at. Moses wanted a relationship with God. The people wanted a relationship with God through Moses. There's a lot of churches like that today. Hey, let the pastor meet with God. Let him talk to God from Monday through Saturday. Let him worship. Let him pray. Let him read his Bible. Then I'm going to come to church, and I want to hear what God has to say through him. You know the most unhealthy thing in life is you trying to have a relationship with God through some other person than Jesus Christ? <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you from experience, okay, from experience, uh, about 12 years of my life, I was in a relationship, and, and the way I went to God was through this person. If I needed to know what's wisdom on handling my children, I went to this person. What do you hear God saying? If I want to know how to handle finance, I went to this person. What do you hear God saying? And it ruined my relationship with God because I stopped hearing from God. I was hearing from God through some person. Listen, you don't need to come to the prophetic night to hear from God. You need to come to the prophetic night for God to confirm what you've already heard from him. You need to come to church so that it can confirm what God's already told you in your life. Don't you dare try to have a relationship with God through me. I have a hard time myself doing it on my own. I'll mess you up if you try to hear God from me. Thus saith the Lord, bake me a cake. I don't know, you know. 
No, you can't do that. So listen, here's what they said. They said, I'll let the pastor meet, let Moses meet, or else, watch this, if God talks to us, or else we're going to die. Do you know that flesh always dies in the presence of God, as it should? You know why a lot of you don't worship and lift your hands during the music time? It's because you don't want your pride to die because it'll hurt you. Because pride, if you lift your hands and people think, man, why is he lifting his hands and you just feel weird about it? Imagine if we were in public and my wife wanted to give me a kiss. I said, no, 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 don't give, don't give me a kiss. I don't want anybody to see how much we love each other. We, we can't do stuff like that. It's pride. And so if you lift your hands, your pride's going to die. Your pride should die. But here's what you're thinking. I'm going to worship God through that talented singer that's up on stage. That's how I worship God. I have to wait till Sunday morning comes along, and when she starts singing, when he starts singing, then through them I'm going to get close to God. Do you see how twisted that is? Am I making sense to y'all today or not? Anyway, so, so uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said this, I die every single day. The reason we die is so Jesus can live through us. Because, see, the more we die every single day, the more Jesus lives through us. But you have to be willing to take that step in relationship with him. It's all about relationship with him. So there's a scripture in Psalms that's all about what we're talking about, this particular story with Moses. And it says in Psalms 103.7, he made his ways known to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. Here's why that's so amazing. The children of Israel knew what God did, but Moses knew why God did it. They saw the Nile River turn to blood. They saw the ten supernatural plagues. Wow, God's powerful. But Moses knew God did it because he loved them so much. And he wanted them to be free to worship him. And God just wanted to build their faith. See, they saw God's power. Moses saw God's heart. See, I can teach you theology all day. I can teach you how to hear from God. I can teach you how to understand the Bible. But I cannot have a relationship with God for you. You can't have a relationship with God through your parents. You're not going to get to heaven on the coattails. You're not going to get to heaven on the coattail of your spouse. I determine the depth of my relationship with God. Not my pastor, not my spouse, not my friend, not my parents, not my teacher. It is totally 100% up to me if I'm going to have a if I'm going to hear from God, if I'm going to be with God, if I'm going to spend time with God. Point number 2 for your notes is this. He's our number one refuge. He is our number one refuge. A refuge is an elevated fortress. It is a high place. It is a rock. It is a habitation. Now listen real close. The wrong refuge is a God before him. The, the where's the first place you go when you're hurting? Where's the first place you go when you're emotionally upset? Who's the first person you call on? What's the first thing you say? Now listen, y'all say God because you're in church, okay? Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Now, because you're in church, if I said, what is your refuge? Where do you go first? All y'all are going to say God, right? Because you're such beautiful, wonderful Christians and your body odor smells so good. And so let me tell you the truth is this. If I gave you truth serum, if I, if I Jim Jonesed you, if, if I put, if I traded the communion cups for Kool-Aid, okay? And then I said, what is your refuge? Where do you go? Some of your answers may look like this. Alcohol is my strength. Uh, Amazon is a very present help in times of trouble. My cell phone is my refuge. Cigarette, social media is a very present help in times of trouble. Marijuana, money, Oreos. I, I honestly believe that Oreos can talk. There's been times that I've come home from a really, really bad day at work, 
And I can swear I hear a voice coming from the pantry saying, eat me, eat me. You know? And, you know, sure enough, after one or two dozen, I feel so much better about life. You know, the other day, this is a true story. This is a few days ago. I was, at my, my, I was with my trainer, and I was with somebody else. And he was asking him, you know, what, and someone said the word Oreos. And, and I just, before I even thought about it and who I'm with, I said, I had 14 Oreos last night before I went to bed. And, and I did. He was so disappointed in me. But that was my refuge that night. Pornography, sports, Starbucks, self-promotion, Netflix, Visa. Okay, any other refuge is us trying to find relief from a place that only God can give. And he wants to give it to you. Psalms 121.2 says this, Where does my help come? I love how the psalmist answered it. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So he says, you shall have no other gods before me. It almost sounds like he's saying, you can have some other gods as long as you don't put them before me. As long as they come after me, but that's not what he's saying. The word before in Hebrew, um, it's in the Bible over a thousand times, and only a few times does it translate in English to before. Let me show you some other English translations of that same Hebrew word. You shall have no other God besides me, in front of me, behind me, because of me, in my face, on the side of me. You shall have no other gods against me. You shall have no other gods other than me. That's actually what it means. Now, we started a school this week, so I'm going to give you a little school lesson, okay? Don't get, don't get you know, misty-eyed and, and leave me. Just listen for a second. The word before in English can be a conjunction or a, a preposition, okay? So stay with me. A conjunction joins two thoughts. A preposition explains or clarifies a thought. In other words, I could say, I am going to the store, okay? I am going, period. I'm still going. To the store clarifies where I'm going. In this particular scripture, you have to know the gods before me. It is a preposition. It is clarifying something. It's supposed to be, you shall have no other gods, period. But to clarify it, he says, just so you know, you shall have no other gods behind me, besides me, around me, instead of me, against me, on and on. He clarifies. Why did God need to clarify to his own people, you shall have no other gods other than me? Why do you need to clarify? Why can't you just say, um, you shall have no other gods? Why do you have to clarify other than me? I need to be the only one, not me and then another one. I'm the only one. Why did he have to clarify to his own people? He's not talking to Buddhists. He's not talking to, you know, Muhammad or anyone. He's talking to, he's talking to Israelites. Why did he have to say that? Here's why. They had just come out of slavery for 430 years. 430 years in Egypt. Now, Egyptians were polytheists. You can put up on the screen, polytheist, poly meaning many, uh, theos meaning God. They had many gods. They had 29 main gods, and they had 2,000 lesser gods. So I just need you to just imagine this for a minute. Let's say that you're a slave, okay? You're a slave in Egypt, and um, you are getting beaten every day. There's not enough food for your family. You're starving, and you're seeing, and you're born into this. 430 years of slavery, you're born into it. At some point, when you see these people who own you, and they are rich, and they seem happy, and they got everything they want in life, and they're worshiping the sun, and worshiping the moon, and worshiping the stars, and worshiping the sand, and worshiping the water, and worshiping the plant, and worshiping a dog, and all these other things, at some point, you're going to think, you know what, maybe I should try that. They seem happy. They got money. They got it going on. So maybe I should leave my God. Or you know what? I'll keep him. I'll just have some other gods in there so that I can be rich as well. So God had to clarify, you shall have no other gods, period. But just so you know, not any other gods except for me. 
I want to read you some of the gods that the Egyptians had. I put them on the screen in alphabetical order. Um, you can see there's one called Isis, which I think is hilarious. There's a you know, Isis. Another one's called Nun. <laughs> Another one's called Nut. I don't know what that god did for them. Um, happy, but they spelled it wrong. Happy. Here's the point. Uh, there were gods everywhere, and these people, you should have no other gods, period. Now, I want to read you a really funny scripture in the middle of the Bible that has nothing to do with the Moses story, but it makes my point. Second Chronicles 16, 12. King Asa, I really think it's pronounced Asa because I'm from the south, I say Asa. King Asa developed a severe disease in his feet. You would have thought it was somewhere else considering his name. Anyway, Asa, yet in his illness, he did not turn to the Lord for help, but he turned to doctors. Two years later, he died. There's nothing wrong with doctors. Luke was a physician. Luke, one of the disciples, was a physician, okay? Nothing wrong. There's something wrong when you go to the medicine cabinet before you go to God. There's something wrong when you go to food before you go to God to meet a need. There's something wrong when you go to a person when you're depressed before you go to God. Are you with me on that? So I want you to give you a little analogy. Imagine my wife and I are on the beach and we're sharing a beach towel. We're just sitting there together. And um, this woman walks by. Evidently, she's been to the dentist because she's wearing dental floss as she comes by. And um, and my eyes, you know, my eyes catch it. And so I just keep staring as she keeps walking in front of us. My wife would not leave me because of that. But do you understand there's going to be some major distance in our relationship? Do you know you can be in the same room with somebody and be miles apart from them? You can sleep in the same bed. You can be riding in the same car and be miles and miles apart. Distant. You understand that? Okay. Going to the wrong refuge, it's like spiritual adultery. What if I got up and I went to that woman to meet a need that my wife was created to meet for me? She'd be really upset, wouldn't it? Because she's created to meet a need for me, and I'm going to somewhere else to meet a need that she was put in my life to meet. Would that cause a problem? Okay. Spiritual adultery is going to the wrong refuge. In fact, I'm going to make a statement. I'm not a doctor. Okay, I'm a pastor. I, I, I would like to make this statement in a, in a medical way. But spiritually, I want to say this. Spiritual depression is caused by going to the wrong refuge for years. I've heard people say to me, they say, well, John Paul, I feel so far from God. Listen real close. God did not get up and walk away from you. And if you're, if you're living in sin, and that means that, um, you know, you're living as a homosexual or you're uh, living, in, having sex with somebody you're not married to and there's no conviction whatsoever or you're regularly stealing or lying and there's no conviction, you think, oh, I can do this and there's nothing wrong with it. I just want you to know you're miles apart from God. That's, that's, it's spiritual adultery. You're, you're trying to find some high. You're trying to do something to meet a need that God says, I've, I have. The Bible actually says God will supply all my needs. God will supply the need for you. You're just going to the wrong place for it. Are you with me? That's, that's a wrong refuge. Point number three is this. He needs to be our number one recipient. Our number one recipient. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with the first of all your income. And you guys know it because you're, you're here, but tithing is the first 10% of our income. A lot of people don't want to do it because they don't want God to be in charge. Okay, But if you want God to be in charge, you have to put him first. First, first fruit. Okay. Um, God, there's a, there's a theological word called the preeminence of God. It's, um, it's one of the attributes of God, the preeminence of God. It means that he's always first no matter what. In other words, even if you don't put him first, he's still first. Now, it's up to you if you're going to put him that way in your life, he's still first. In other words, if God was in the Olympics, he would never get a silver medal. 
If God played 18 rounds of golf, 18 holes, his score would be what? Oh, Lord, have mercy. We're in Myrtle Beach, people. His score would be 18. It'd be a perfect score. He's never going to come second. Do you know 2,500 years before God ever said to tithe, he already said, you better put me first financially. Watch this. In Genesis 4, 3 through 5. And in the process of time, in other words, whenever he felt like, first he paid his taxes, and then he got, you know, paid his mortgage payment. And then when he kind of felt like it in the process of time, Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Oh, that was nice of him. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Watch this. The Lord received Abel and his offering. He did not receive Cain and his offering. Here's why. God's going to be first. You don't have to put a first. You can still give money, but let me just tell you, God doesn't receive it unless you've already done the first. After that, you can bake a pie, do a missionary, give to this and that. But the first of our income, the Bible says, goes to the local storehouse. Let me show you another one. Um, Proverbs 3, 6, and everything you do, put God first and you will succeed. It only works when you put him first. It's so funny. I've had people tell me, once I get ahead financially, then I'll put God first. Okay, listen. You've never gotten ahead financially. All these years you've been trying and it hasn't happened. Why don't you put God, why don't I have enough? You know what? You don't have enough without it. So you might as well put God first and then let him do his part. If you don't have enough, what do you think is going to happen? You think God's going to jump in and say, listen, for, for the past thousands of years, there's been billions of people, but you know what? For you, I'm going to break my word. For you, because you're special and I know you have a good heart, you don't have to put me first and I'll still bless your finances. If that happens to you, you need to write a book or something. You know, I'll quit my job because my job depends on this word. So uh, when the Israelites went to the promised land, the promised land was not just one city. It was many cities. The first city with the giants was called Jericho. Look what was said had to happen in the first city. Joshua 6, 17, the city of Jericho and all that is in it shall be for the Lord. The silver and gold are holy. They're set apart. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Why did God say all the money in Jericho you better put in church? Here's why. It was the first city. God said, do you want my help beating all these other cities? You better put me first with this one. Now, you don't have to put me first, but guess what? After Jericho, I'm not going to help you anymore. You're on your own, buddy, after that. It wasn't, hey, do all the cities with me, and then once all of them are there, take 10% and you can give it to me. No, he said the first. The first goes to him. Um, I'll read your story, then I'll let you go. First Kings 17, there was a drought in the land. Uh, that means there's no, there's, no, there's no water. And when there's no rain, there's no crops. When there's no crops, people are dying and people are starving. Well, God's prophet at the time, Elijah, was starving. And so God said, I'm going to send you to Zarephath, there's a widow woman there. She's going to provide for you. So Elijah arrives, and she's starving. She has a little boy. Her husband's dead. She's starving. In verse 12, she said, All I have is a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. I'm baking it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Here's what saying. I don't have enough. I just don't have enough. Listen, we're going to die either way. Whether we eat this or not, we're going to die because we don't have enough. So Elijah, who represents God in the story, says this to her in verse 13. He said, you know what? Give me a sum first. You just bake me some bread, bake me some. Give it to me first. In other words, have some faith. Put God first. Now, I don't know who this woman was. It doesn't, I don't think it tells us her name. Um, I'd imagine that she was cussing in her head whenever Elijah said this. Now, I just need you guys to know because I'm your pastor. I am so much more holy than y'all are. Okay, I, I'm just much better Christian than y'all. Because when I cuss, I cuss in my head. I don't cuss out loud like all of y'all. As is, God doesn't know what I'm thinking, it's all good. And so I can actually 
I can actually look at somebody in the face and smile, and in my mind, I can be cussing. That's how good of a Christian I am. That's how good I am. I'm that holy. And so I feel like this lady either thought in her mind, we're starving, and you want me to bake you a pie first? You bleepity bleep bleep. And I think she's doing it with a smile on her face. Either that or, has anybody seen the movie The Help? I think, I think it was many is what I think. I said, you know what? I'll make you a pie. I'll bake you something. There's a special ingredient just for you, Elijah. <laughs> if you had not seen this movie, you got to see this movie. It's one of the best movies ever made. It's one of my favorites. Anyway, I don't think she did that, okay? She didn't bake him a special pie. In verse 15, it says this. She, I don't know if y'all aren't smiling because you did see the movie or you didn't see the movie. But anyway, she did as Elijah said, and there was always enough flour. The oil did not empty, just as the Lord promised. You know, every time I read this story, every time I have this thought, I say, God, did you send Elijah to her to provide for him? Or did you send Elijah to her to provide for her? And the answer is always yes. Yes, I'm going to teach you how to put God first, and it takes care of more than just yourself every single time. You know, in the story, the oil in the Old Testament represents the anointing in the New Testament. The anointing is the empowerment to prosper through Jesus, okay? If you need more anointing in your life, it's very easy. Listen, put God first. What area do you feel like you just don't have enough anointing, enough empowerment to prosper through Jesus? In that area, put God first. It's that easy. Okay, let me close with some scriptures. Deuteronomy 4.35, the Lord Lord is God, there is no other besides him. Isaiah 45.5, I am the Lord and there is no other, there is no God besides me. 2 Samuel 7.22, there is none like thee, neither is there any beside thee. Isaiah 43.10, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Psalms 18.31, is there any God like our God? Heck no. Is there any rock except our God? Heck no. That's the Socrates translation. Isaiah 37 16, O Lord who is enthroned above the angels, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Psalms 86 10, for you are great and do wondrous deeds, miracles so great you alone are God. Isaiah 46 9 I am God, there is no one else. I am God, there is no one like me. Deuteronomy 4 39, take it to heart that the Lord is God in heavens above and on earth below, there is no other. Ephesians 4 6, one God and Father of all who is sovereign above all through all, and in you all. That's an Aner scripture right there because the you all part. James 2, 19, there is one God. The demons even believe and they tremble with fear. Nehemiah 9, 6, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heaven of heavens with all their angels, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bow down before you. 1 Timothy 1, 17, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The success Success or failure of every single area of our life depends solely on if we put God first. And how dare we put anything before Him? How dare we put anything before Him? Oh, yeah, let's bow our heads in prayer. That's it for you today.